Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. I think we have to be organic as people. Like we're so separated, like the electronics and the way that we put ourselves forward, like professionally, that I think every now and then just letting the human side come through reminds you that you're sincere, reminds people that you're there as a person and as a physician, I think it's a valuable tool, like being able to laugh at something. I think that there's a value in switching gears emotionally. And so my patients will find out that I'm a comedian and they just think it's real. They think it's cool because they think that I'm a person inside, not a robot. Welcome back to the Building Us podcast. I'm Eric Garcia, certified financial planner and financial advisor. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Matt Morris, family therapist and couples counselor. Matt, how are you today? You know, I'm doing pretty well. I'm in a good mood. I've had a uh, an okay week of counseling couples. It's been hit or miss, but you know, other than that, end of the like, week. What's the trend? Re- what, are, what are couples fighting about these days? What's oh, the trend here? Oh. It's, it's October when we're recording, so mm-hmm. um, 2020, so there's a lot on everybody's minds. Uh, let's see, people are worried about milk, um, toilet paper, uh, whether their kids are ever going to return to school or not, um, if their mask is appropriately fashionable, st- you know, those kind of things. Do people really worry about their masks being a appropriately fashionable do you need a do you need a disclaimer on that right now okay. nothing is outside the bounds of worrying about every people are worried about and stressed about everything so it, it's it's a um, i'll tell you what's trending up for me what's trending up for me is having a lot of conversations and this probably is going to be irrelevant when i say this by the time people listen to this podcast but i'm having a lot of conversations about fear with the presidential election and the impact that that has on their investment portfolios uh, so that's it, what's is it an election year I hear. That's what they tell me. That's what they tell me. Maybe that's what people are stressed about. Anyway. Hey, as always, I just want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast. Again, I've said this before. It's a lot of fun to... I like like following numbers and and metrics. So it's always fun to see people downloading and to see our downloads go up. So I appreciate that. If you think that what we're talking about here is is, uh, worth sharing, it's valuable information to you, share it. Um, Please do that. It helps us to get out, uh, to get more people to listen to what we have to say. We think we have something here that's valuable. Um, the fact that people are continue to listen kind of communicates back to us that it's valuable. So as long as you listen, we will continue producing high quality, top notch podcasts with guests that are out of this world. So let's get into our topic today, Matt. Like today. Like today. You counsel couples, I'm, I'm guessing the majority of the time people come to you, they're probably, especially at first, probably not necessarily on the friendliest terms sometimes, maybe. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Sometimes they bring weapons. I mean, they, sometimes they are ready to end it. They're ready to end it. So probably not a lot of laughter, maybe like a lot of like laughing at the other person, but not a lot of joint common laughter. No. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, maybe nervous laughter, but that's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
Yeah. So there's a lot of research out there. I was reading, there's a lot of research that talks about shared laughter um, brings people closer together. There's a, a quote that I saw. It says, laughter is the closest distance between two people. Um, one a social psychologist, she said that for people who are laughing together, shared laughter signals that they see the world in the same way. And it momentarily boosts their sense of connection. Something that you talk a lot about in relationships is being connected. And then she goes on to say that perceived similarity ends up being an important part of the story of relationships. So even if that similarity for a moment is perceived, it's a good starting point to draw people together. Yeah. Would you agree with that? For sure. I don't exactly know what your first quote means. Like laughter is the closest distance between two people, but I like the sentiment. It sounded good. And certainly I know like it, you know, in counseling, we don't have vital signs like other medical professions do. But if, if, if we had a vital sign, laughter would be a good vital sign for how a relationship is doing. If, if couples and families are laughing together, it's generally a good sign. And I'll, I'll say more about that later, but yeah. you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's like a temperature check of a relationship is how frequently are you laughing together? Not at each other, not making fun of each other, but laughing together. That's good. Yeah. I find too that, you know, when I'm talking to people and they're, maybe they're fearful about their, their finances or they're stressed out or, or anxious that, that kind of laughter starts to break down some of that anxiety to where we can actually have productive conversation to do some productive planning. So with that, we have a special guest today. This is a first, it, probably a last. <laughs> this is the first time on our show Guaranteed. that we have a, a, a Laotian ear, nose, and throat doctor as our guest. So I am going to I'm going to let him introduce himself because I can't uh, just... Vian, welcome to the show, man. Thanks Tell us for who having you are. Me. What do we need to know about you? Well, uh, you, uh, you missed... I, I think you left out the comedian part. That was kind of the punchline. I'm a oh, I did. <laughs> I'm a Laotian ear, nose, and throat doctor comedian. I mean, we have uh, Laotian ENT docs all the time on here. But yeah, you're, like, you're the, the second Laotian comic, ENT comic doc. I mean, that's not special. That's like what we all do. Uh, I'm the I'm actually the number one ranked Laotian ear, nose, and throat doctor comedian in Southwest Florida. Uh, I'm I'm undefeated. Uh, I'm uncontested. Uh, I'm undisputed. So it is. It's a special moment for you guys. Um, yeah. I, well, I'm hold sure on. You I was know. preparing. I was preparing for the show, and I actually Googled top Laotian comedians. Okay. And the returned. You know what the returned search was? It corrected Google. Corrected my spelling. <laughs> And return the top Latino comedians, and I'm curious to know how does that make you feel. I I I feel like um, if I do this right, I could actually be the top ranked Latino uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor comedian from Southwest Florida. I'm trying to claim all the titles. Sometimes yeah. I get the top ranked the top ranked Latvian. I've been the top ranked Latvian uh, comedian doctor also. So Google's working in my favor just because people can't spell. So, I mean, I'll take all the belts, you know, like when boxers have like multiple titles, like yeah. three, four belts on their shoulders. I want to have that. I want to have that one day. Laotian, Latino, Latvian. Hey, yeah. just, just as an aside, I told one of my sons today that we were having a uh, Laotian, Laotian, uh, Laotian, <laughs> I can't even say it, Laotian comedian <laughs> doctor. At least eight or nine different ways that that's going to be said by the end of this podcast. I want someone to count at home and report back. There'll it's be like 14, a, yeah, Latvian, yeah. Latino. So Croatian. I was asking him if he knew what the word meant, 
Laotian, he goes, ooh, that's a fancy word. Is it like a French person that lives by the sea? <laughs> well, you know, interestingly enough, um, I've done a little research on, on Laos. So Laos was a French colony, but it is the only Southeast Asian country that is landlocked. So there is no sea in Laos. Do you want to know? Oh, one more thing. We are the poorest country in the world. Number really? one. Number one. Another belt there. Yeah, it's another yeah. belt. In Asia, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In Asia, we're the least industrialized country, poorest country in Asia. Wow. I, I, Asia. I, I started with a lie. So we're number one. We're distinguished. Okay. We're, oh, it depends, oh, depends where another, your world is. We're also the most bombed country in the history of the world. Most bombed, really. Most bombed, yeah. Invaded yeah. for reference. Yeah. For reference, tell us where. Tell our listeners because I, I am I am so, up to speed on geography. So, but give so, our listeners a. Uh, so during the Vietnam War, uh, I guess the the Vietnamese would go through Laos to like supply their troops. They'd sneak through the jungles, and the Americans would bomb them. Try to bomb them, uh, but there was no war in Laos. So technically, like this just happened. It was like bad aim. They're like, nothing happened, you know, but uh, like a bunch of those bombs didn't blow up. So there's like unexploded ordnance in Laos Jeez. and they dropped more bombs in Laos than was dropped in Germany in World War II. We got better at dropping bombs, but our, our aim was bad. So they like missed by a country. So that's another belt for us. I feel like that might have been a somber topic. I might not have. It might not have been a good thing to. No, that's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> a little history I, I, lesson. I a little know. history. Hmm. You know, you know we got to start off. We got to take take people to school. Uh, was that matching the laughter theme we were going for? The bomb, the bomb thing. I feel like that wasn't bomb. <laughs> Nothing funnier than unexploded ordinances. <laughs> it's not funny. Ian. Can can we edit this part <laughs> out? I, I feel like this 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 is going to so, go out in the edit. Do you, do you identify like if I were to meet you on the street? If I didn't know you, so for context, you and I went to Tulane together. Yeah, and we haven't talked literally for twenty years. Uh, I do remember laughing a lot with you. I do remember just having fun um, with you. Then I saw you on Facebook. I'm like, oh look, he's a doctor in Florida. That's cool. That's awesome. Then all of a sudden, you start posting like you're at a comedy club. I'm like, oh man, doctoring must have gone bad. Like, <laughs> like um, something must have happened. Are you still um, licensed as a doctor? I guess that's what he's alluding to. I, I am. I, yeah. I'm still. I'm still a doctor. I'm not. Right. I'm not not a doctor. It's not like this is my you know, my failure plan. Uh, I just do this to have fun. It's just my little fun thing. You know, it's instead of how, how does the doctor, how does the doctor become a comedian? Like, did you need some like extra cash? Like you need some extra, you know, you need a side hustle to, to make the mortgage payment. No, I, it's actually a really good way not to make any money. Um, <laughs> you know, the doctor thing is substantially more lucrative. Um, so I, you know, the the way most Asians work is I'm sure you know this, like you're supposed to be a doctor. That's like the only option you, when you're, you grow up. It's not like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Your parents are like, you're going to be a doctor or we're going to hate you. And so the doctor thing is sort of like uh, scripted for you. And I did it and I did it. Okay. I do it fine. Like nobody dies, you know, like yeah. I, patients are happy. I think, I hope maybe. Um, but um you know, doctoring isn't like a fun thing. Like it's a work thing. You know, you, you go very hard in one direction. And so, you know, it's stressful and it's, it's difficult. And, 
you know, there's ways to blow off steam and uh, some people carve ducks out of wood and uh, some people womanize. And uh, I do stand up comedy, you know, like uh, the, the, there's, there's sort of an extreme other side of, of, of a person that you have to cultivate. I think it's healthy. Like if you're just a doctor and you, that's all you are, uh, you're not a very balanced person because it's not, a, it's not fun. So, um, so this is my other thing that makes me human. That makes me creative. And I, I love doing it. Uh, so a comic told me this, and I, I think this is what Eric might've been trying to say earlier. Like you can't laugh and worry at the same time. Like it's physically impossible. So with medicine, it's like, I'm always on the brink of crying. <laughs> so why not laugh, laugh it off. Laughing is, is close to crying in terms of its catharsis. So I, I, it's my mechanism to make myself a, a better person and a better doctor. Well, there's a lot of research. The, the uh, American Heart Association came out and basically said that laughing, laugh, laughing, laughing strengthens the La heart. Laughing is like the highest level of laughter. It's like black La belt it's like, laughter. That's like not even. That's like so funny. It's it's like funny that it increases the amount of good cholesterol HDL. It can decrease inflammation in the blood vessels. It can reduce stress, um, reduce cortisol, release endorphins, all that fun. I, like y'all two have doctors in front of your name. I'm you know I'm just I just read off of Google. So I'm kind of looking for y'all to verify this stuff yeah. for me. We we just read off of Google too. I just don't use words like laughing. That's right. the difference. It's or or I cite a source if I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, or, or I'll list the reference. American you know, like, Heart Association. I sound like legit. I sound like a cowboy just reading off of whatever you know. Look, man, I grew up. I grew up in a house where. English was spoken poorly. Okay. So like when I say laughing, <laughs> you laugh at me and you laugh at me. Let's talk about that. What is it like? What, to... One of us has overcome that situation. I don't want to hear your excuses. Okay. My parents hey. still speak at me broken English. Like they're still this trying is... to ruin my English. My, my parents speak to me in Spanish. They don't <laughs> even speak to me in English. Let's just give up on it. No, that's my, actually not my true. Parents are, true. My parents are mad at the goodness of my English. They're like, what are you trying to do here? Who do you think you are? Let's like, talk okay. about that. I'm curious. What's it like? What's it like to be Laotian? All right. So uh, Laotians are, there's different Asians. I don't know if you guys know that. I, I assume you do, but th some people don't. So I, I thought it was one con conglomerate, one group. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to dispel the myth that we're all the same people. Um, mm -hmm. You know how like Latin cultures, there's like the Spanish who are like, making moving architecture and, and, and Renaissance paintings. And then there's like uh, certain other uh, ethnic groups that like do your lawn and they're known for that. The Laotians are like the do your lawn people. We're like the ones who climb trees to get coconuts so you can have coconut water. We sell fish at the flea market. We're those, we're those Asians. Okay. So um, it's a modest culture. Yeah. We're poor. We've been bombed a lot. Uh, not, you know, we come here. We we sort of just want to do our thing. Get a job. Have a family, you know, be Laotian, sit on the floor, eat spicy food. That's what Laotians are. OK, and I love but, it. I love everything about it, uh, except I'm sort of a weird Laotian. I think I was adopted um, because I'm more like the other Asians that you you think of, you know, the ones who like do stand-up comedy or go to medical school. That's actually a weird thing for a Laotian to do. So I'm a little bit of an oddball in that way. 
And I was talking to Eric about this earlier. I don't, you know how you're not, you're not supposed to not know how to ride a bike after you've learned how to do it. I don't think you can unlearn a language. I've managed to do that. Like I grew up, I was born in Laos. I spoke Laotian and somehow I've unLaotianed to myself. Like I can't speak Laotian. I can't even speak with the Laotian accent. And I was going to ask you about this, Matt. Can you explain that? Is this like a dissociative thing that I've done? Hmm. Or is it just weird? I don't, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, oof, I don't want to, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on that. Um, yeah, it could just be, you really I've like where you're at. You like, you I, like your place in life. You like where you've landed. Uh, are you uh, surrounded? Did by... you, did you come to New Orleans from Laos? Uh, I came to, well, we lived all over. We started is, in the Northeast. Uh, is New Orleans Lock, a hot Lock, spot? No, I've, I, I've never been anywhere where there's a lot of Laotians. Like huh. I grew up, I grew up with my family around some Laotians, but then like we live in Florida. There's not a big Asian community here or Laotian community. New Orleans, I was on campus at Tulane, like with the Tulane kids, like diverse. So I've, I've never, I've sort of been culturally integrated. Uh, yeah, I mean, that could be it. You haven't been around uh, a Laotian enclave in a long, 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 long time since you were in Laos. <laughs> I'm, I've hijacked your podcast for my own uh, personal counseling session. Is that okay? That's totally fine. Yeah, like, I don't I don't want to pay someone to do this. So I'm just going to, you know. Right. Pick, I was going to have you look in my ear later. And I, I'll look in your septum in return. You know, <laughs> are, you, nose. are you feeling are you feeling better already? Vian? I, I feel better. I feel like, yeah. I feel like there's not something wrong with me, which is what I was kind of afraid of. I don't. I don't want you to have to feel like that. You have to speak for every immigrant or every Laotian or every Asian person. Oh, and I'm so okay. I'm okay doing it. I, I, I I'm speaking for every Laotian. <laughs> right. Everything I say represents the uh, the feelings and beliefs of every Laotian. Yeah. From this. Yeah, and I'm, so <clears throat> I, I guess we can take from that that when. Uh, Laotians move to the U.S. and live in cities in the U.S. that they lose all their Laotianness. So we can just assume that that, <laughs> that they, I'm they, they Laotian. language. Yes, I'm the most Laotian person in the world. <laughs> so, are your parents still very culturally Laotian? Oh yeah, they they have learned how to like check out at the grocery store, but they're identical to who they were before. You know, huh. uh, they take the ox to the store and uh, yeah. You know, they don't wear shoes and uh, they slaughter a chicken every day. Do you, have, have, do you have siblings? What's that? Do you have siblings? I do. I have a sister. And have, are you in in a different way acculturated from your from your sister or from your other family members? Well, it's, it's actually funny. My sister is quite a bit younger than me. She's eight years younger than me. And uh, she was born in the States. I was born in Laos. Mm-hmm. But I've completely become Americanized. Like uh, my sister lives with my family. There's just this cultural tradition where the young youngest sibling sort of stays at home. And uh, I mean, she does. She has a life. She's an accountant. She she has a family, and and she married a non-Laotian. But she's home. Like they live in a big multi-generational house. But she's more Laotian than I am. Like she can cook Laotian. She can speak Laotian. Like. Uh, even though she was born here, like she's the one that you would expect to be like very Americanized. I'm super Americanized. I'm I'm what's called a Twinkie. I'm yellow on the outside, white on the inside. There's a term. There's a term. <laughs> An official term. Yeah. One yeah. of my jokes in my stand up is that on the outside, I'm Vian. 
it follows the Twinkie statement. I go, I'm a Twinkie. On the outside, I'm yellow. On the inside, I'm white. On the outside, I'm Vian. On the inside, I'm Chad. That's my <laughs> joke. How does your family feel about your, your, you know, do they feel that you've like sold out? Do they feel like, oh, man, we made a mistake by sending him to that university? <laughs> well, like, the, they didn't get it at first. Like I went away to school. Like school is such, such a weird idea. Like we're, it's not a super educated culture, and so going to college is like it's like saying I want to be an astronaut. You know, like like going to medical school. Like I, I had these ambitions and I vocalized them, but they were they were such lofty ambitions that my parents were like they didn't want to talk about it because they didn't. You know, it was sort of beyond belief and. Uh, for whatever reason, I was just sort of delusional in that way. And I, I did it. And, and I guess for them, they were just more fearful of failure. You know, they would have preferred I stayed home and, and played it safe, you know, to get a job and, and, and not have these, cause I mean, there's a lot of risk when you don't have resources. I mean, it costs a lot to go to Tulane. Um, and I was able to pull it off. And for a while, I just felt like I was just chasing this dream and, and, you know, abandoning the family. But then, you know, I, I did it and now they're like, yes, yeah. See, great idea. Yeah, you, Worked we, out. Knew you, we knew you could do it. And then when you started doing comedy, like, what the hell are you doing? My, that- I don't think that my parents understand what it is. Uh, like comedy is not a thing in, in Laos. Laotian people are very serious. Like if you see my parents at celebratory events in their pictures, they look like this. They're like, it's like, it's like a Laotian this, smile. This is They're an like, audio. This is an audio show just for the record. Oh, okay. <laughs> so could okay. you describe that look? Could you describe it? Could you use well, words it, and describe it, the look? It, imagine like people at a funeral. If you take people at a funeral and take a picture of them and put then that picture in every celebratory event in your life, that's what uh, my parents look like in 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 fun events. And so and that's how Laotians are. We're not slap happy people. So comedy is not a thing. Like I've never seen a Laotian clown. And so I started doing it. And, you know, like I think I've gotten to a point where my parents just shake their heads at everything I do. They're just like, I don't whatever, you know, yeah. and uh, they're just like, you know, whatever. He'll figure it so out. They're, if they're if they're like, you know, because every parent loves to brag about their their children. So if they're with their Laotian community, they're like, hey, you know, our son's an ENT and he does comedy. Like, yeah. is that just something they leave off? Well, they 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 decide what they decide to say. And it's primarily my son's a doctor. That's all. Let's not talk about him anymore. Let's, leave it <laughs> let's move on. Yeah, no, let's, let's move, move on. on. Do you is it all right if we ask you about your family? Is this uh, this, it, oh, this totally. is less funny? Yeah, well, no, it can be funny. It's funny. It's funny to me. It may not be funny to you. My family's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You know, in in um in the work that I do, family therapy and couples therapy, I laugh all the time. I laugh all the time, and I, I regularly am laughing with my clients and at things that they do and say. I think people are just funny in in kind of the everyday way. I also notice that in teaching students to be counselors, that they're kind of default mode is start off super serious that this work is serious there's no room for laughter and then i compare like what they're doing in their sessions and how they're trying to be very professional to what my sessions look like and how i'm often laughing sometimes inappropriately sometimes it's me making the inappropriate joke about the the family and so i just asking you two about that like how have you incorporated 
laughter in a way that works into your work? Uh, I, I mean, I don't tell jokes like during work, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not like Patch Adams. I'm not slap happy. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very serious. But what I, what I do is sometimes I'll get a funny question and there's just not an answer to it. Like I'll get this question. Like, why do I have so much earwax? And my answer is, I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's my way let's, of saying Google it. it's a really dumb question. Uh, and I don't have an answer to it. And it's like, it, it takes the pressure off both of us. You know, it takes the pressure off the patient worrying about something that he doesn't need to worry about. And it takes the pressure off me making up some answer that I don't know the answer to, you know, it's, it's just like, stop being so serious. Like we, we have this, like, I think we have to be organic as people. Like we're so separated, like through, through electronics and, um, the way that we put ourselves forward, like, like professionally that I think every now and then just letting the human side come through, uh, reminds you that you're sincere, you know, reminds people that you're there as a person and as a physician, I think there's a valuable tool, like being able to laugh at something. Sometimes my patients will tell me about stuff. That's just like, they've been going through this crazy ordeal and it's like, I, I laugh. And it's not a laugh of like, I'm laughing at your pain. It's just a laugh at the, the the silliness of what you've been through. And I always go, I'm not laughing at you. I hope you know that. They're always like, I know you're not. And then they they can laugh about it because they're, they're through it, you know? And it's almost like like a celebration that they're they're done with that ordeal. So I I think that there's a, va- a value in, in, in switching gears emotionally. I think if you're so heavy into the serious side, it, it affects you. You know, it can take away why you're doing, you know, you can forget that you're human if you're so plastic as a, as a physician, you know, like, you, you know, that guy I'm talking about who's ultra serious and doesn't laugh. He's binary in his, in his voice, you know, just talks technically and that's it. And, and you never walk away from that feeling very rewarded, you know, it's all true, but it's not, it's not earnest. And so being my, my, my patients will find out that I'm a comedian and they, they just think it's real. They think it's cool. Cause they think that I'm a person in, inside, you know, not a robot. Gotta cut them up. Yeah. I think what you're talking about is, is so important in, in that we as professionals often feel like we have to always uh, portray expertise and thoroughness and uh, seriousness is as a way to validate expertise and that Eric, going back to what you were saying initially, that I still don't know what it means, but laughter <laughs> closes, closes the distance between people, whatever that, you know, that, whatever that quote was, laughter closes the distance between people. So as professionals, we're, we're wanting to relate to and connect to this person that we're working with. It seems like laughter in that context is even really helpful at closing the distance between people. I also just feel like, Couples and families that I work with are going through super heavy, serious things. And there's no joke about that. There's no, there's, there's no doubt about the seriousness, for instance, uh, co-parenting, you know, having to sit in the same room and get along with somebody that you just divorced from that you're currently trying to settle an estate with that your lawyers are bickering about. And now you have to make a decision about who's going to take your kid to the dentist. Who's going to get him there? Who's going to pick him or up? Or to the ENT. Or to the ENT because he's got too much earwax. I mean, it's it's just super serious and at the same time humorous. And I just feel like if 
if professionals can find that balance of, of not taking themselves so seriously, not taking their work so seriously, even though it is deadly serious at times, uh, it just connects us all. And, and so I'm just thinking about why are some professionals so, you know, stuck in stodgy, dry seriousness all the time? What that may I, be I think about. Some people just, I think some people just are serious. I think forced humor is probably more dangerous than than being serious if that's if that's your personality. But so at the end of the day, I think laughter and being able to laugh at yourself, especially. Um, yeah, I don't think so people important. are stuck in that. I think they've stopped cultivating that for themselves. I think they've stopped because yeah, they're stuck in it. Yeah, laugh, you can, you laugh, can cultivate laughing it. at themselves, laughing at their world, laughing at their families, laughing at their environment. There's laughter all. I mean, there's funny stuff all around. All right, I, I think it's protective. Like, yeah, yeah. You no, know, I, I, I think that you, a deep. If you're overly invested and emotional and you're letting your personal side in, if you're in a risky, you know, professional environment, you, you run the risk of being manipulated or hurt, you know, uh, I, I, my career is an extension of me. Like I, I'm not like doctor me and then home me. You know, I take stuff home with me and I bring myself to work. And for me, being organic and real and sincere and invested in the well-being of my patients gives me an advantage in, in being a physician. Um, if I don't allow myself into that environment, I can, you know, I, I know, and I don't mean to be critical about anybody, but there are doctors who just are, who, they're there, they, they, they turn on the machine and then they leave and then they they completely separate their, themselves. But, um, but the profession sometimes requires you to be present and invested, you know, for it to be rewarding. Like you can choose not to be rewarded by your profession. It's just a job that serves a purpose. I think that's, that's the risk you take when you shut off your personal side from your, to your professional side. And there are people that don't have jobs that are rewarding to them, you know, and that's how they have to deal with it. But, those of us who are lucky enough to care about what we do, I think you have to take some of it with you. Well, you know, it's part of who you are and you take it home and you bring yourself to work. You spend so much of your life, you spend so much of your life working that to not have your, you in that part of your life doesn't make any sense. That part of your life therefore is devoid of you. And that that's definitely not funny. Yeah. I just like having fun. And I think laughing is just laughing at things like, Nacho Libre, like watching Nacho Libre, <laughs> it's, it's just funny, right? It's, and, also, and, it's um, also very Latin, you know. <laughs> They've hit the nail on the head. Uh, it's actually, I'm dressing up as uh, Nacho in his recreational clothes for Halloween. I, I noticed you didn't pick an Asian cultural reference, Mr. Garcia. Oh, well, are there funny, are there, what are some funny I Asian can't, movies? I told you there are none. There are none. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Like I, I was a little afraid when I started doing comedy that people wouldn't take me seriously as a physician. Like, like mm-hmm. who is this guy? They'd find out. They stop being my patient. What's funny is that like after a show, I'll get two, three, four people be like, do you have a card? I actually need an ENT. Yeah. And I'm like, that doesn't at all turn people off. You know, it's, it's not like, it doesn't discredit you. It's just some, a fun thing that you do. It's an interesting about you thing about you, you know, like so when that happens, are you like, you know, I did notice your laugh was a bit nasally <laughs> or, or you don't need an ENT. Your, your sinuses look really good. Like, I'm always like, like, whatever they say, I'm like, Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. But what's funny is I have all these comedy cards and I can't give them away. I can't like throw them into the wind. Like I, I, I give out more doctor cards than comedy cards. Like yeah. after my shows, like they, I, I must not be funny. I don't know. <laughs> but, but somehow you seem like a good doctor on stage. <laughs> yeah. They're like, I don't like anything he's saying, but I should probably see him for my sinusitis. I have some earwax. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask him a burning question about earwax. Where does it come from? <laughs> so do you think, do you think like they're like, so you, you come in and, and you give like an opening joke and they're like, wait, this guy's an ENT. And like, you're up there talking, telling jokes. And the whole time they're thinking like, man, like, you know, I do have a lot of earwax. They're like, my sinuses have been bothered. Like they don't even hear your show. So they don't yeah. even know if you're funny or not. Right. Well, I had to hide it. Like, like my show is not a hundred percent being a doctor. Like, like I actually bury that into my set. A lot of my stuff is just, you know, general stuff. Stuff about my you culture. Lead, you lead with Laotian. Yeah. I used to lead with, I'm a doctor, but then I, exactly that would happen. Like, like then the whole time they're like, why is he doing this? And then I need to ask him this. And then I realized that they wouldn't pay attention to anything else I said. So I had to bury it, you know, and then, and, but at some point, I don't know if it's the way I speak or just because of this, like, I tell them like that I'm this, a doctor. Hold on, hold on. This is this is again. This is again a uh, audio show. So oh, this yeah. he referenced his his look, his image, his Asian face. I don't know how audio works, so I'm, you just have to pretend <laughs> like you're seeing something, people. Uh, I'm 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 referencing my face. I'm Asian. I'm very very Asian in appearance. So uh, at some point, I go. I am a doctor, and like nobody's surprised. They're just like, oh, you know, it just makes sense. <laughs> It's not like you're, like, uh, you're not really not that funny. We figured that. Like, just, uh, like I wrote that joke thinking that'd be a big surprise. Whoa, yeah, crazy. Never a response. You're like, oh, that's that, like the, the tone of the room every time. Is there like a joke that you can tell that like every time you tell it, it gets it gets the response that you want? No, the answer is no. Um, what's funny is that audiences are are totally different, you know, and 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 it some audience will eat up a joke that I don't, I don't really like that much. And then I'll tell a joke that I think will kill and they won't laugh at it. And then I'll, and then it'll be the reverse. I mean, every audience sort of has a personality, like every person has a sense of humor that's different and it really, it's not consistent. Like I get consistent laughs with my material. If I don't get a laugh from it consistently, I'll get rid of it. But even stuff that's tried and true will occasionally just not work with, with the audience's mood that day. You know, they behave like a herd and sometimes they want like a really dirty comedian and, and I'm clean. So I, nothing works on those audiences sometimes. So. Sterile, Eric, Eric right? gets the same reaction from his <laughs> clients. We want a dirty family. We want a dirty, <laughs> we want a dirty financial, financial advisor. advisor. They, they want like, they want the guy from Ozark. They want you to launder their money. And you're like, ah. No, if the regulators are listening, I do not launder people's money. <laughs> do you, for the record. Do you launder? I mean, do you? I actually just got through doing my, um, every year I have to do a um, anti-money laundry. I'm really asking if you do laundry. No. I mean, we, we have had money go through the laundry. <laughs> Did you have but, to report that immediately? No. <laughs> no. Arby, let's switch course a little bit. We've, we've been talking a lot about your jokes, kind of in you being from Laos and, and your ethnicity and culture being part of your your joke. We're, we're in a very, I guess, hypersensitive time culturally. So how, how, how do comedians kind of walk that line between being offensive, not being, being funny? Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. 
It's difficult. Um, I think it's the hardest cultural environment to be a comic. Um, just like you said, everyone's so sensitive and so PC. And I really do think that there are people out there that just want to be offended. They're just waiting to, and then they get pleasure from bringing people down, you know, from, from offense and it's a disease. Um, I'm generally pretty safe because my material is clean and I kind of stay in the middle and, and it's, that's not by choice. It's just who I am. Um, so I'm, I, I don't feel, um, I don't push a lot of, a lot of buttons. I don't, I don't walk the line that much. There are comics that, you know, they want to be edgy. They want to distinguish themselves and, and what, and a lot of people don't have a, an interesting story. They grew up in a, in a, in a culture that isn't that unique. And so their perspective has to be very edgy or, or unique, and it's a balancing act. You want to be distinct enough to be noticed, to to separate from the herd, but you also don't want to want to cross lines and and be offended. You don't want to offend the the club owners and the bookers. So it, it's a difficult act. Um, you know, basically, you want to be bred with a little butter on it. Uh, these days is the safest place to be. Um, but there are people who will take the good with the bad. They there are people that aren't afraid to be offended uh, or aren't afraid to offend. You know, they'll tell jokes and they'll just accept that some people will like it and some people won't. You have to kind of take the consequences of your actions. If you offend a large number of people, you risk not getting booked. And so you kind of have to find what's true to you, true to your voice, true to your act and, and what you're willing to live with in terms of, of acceptance and, and consequences, you know? Um, is, there some, is there some unwritten code? Like you are an Asian comedian so you can get by by making asian jokes yeah where yeah if i was a I, comedian, I think it's I'm not large, yeah i think it's largely true that you can you can pretty much have free range in your ethnicity you know like you i can kind of go wild about being asian you know if, if you're not then then obviously you run the risk of offending that ethnic group i think once upon a time you can kind of make fun of of stereotypes across the board and it was acceptable it's really not acceptable these days i think you can get away with it if it's coming from a place of love like if you've experienced a culture or you're married into a culture or you lived in a culture and you have familiarity and you're and you're doing it from a place of respect i think you can get away with it okay like i can make fun of being american cuz i'm an american i grew up in in america i'm laotian but i'm an american but if i were like if i'm like going to assault french and i lived in france then i run the risk of ruining my career and my perception and all of that stuff so it's it's really a fluid thing and i think the the corridor is as narrow as it's ever been uh, but at some point we have to get over it. Like, just, just get over it. Like right now I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance and go, I hate aliens. Okay. And if someday we, we run into aliens and, and 25 years from now, my career is ruined. Cause I just said on a podcast, I hate aliens. I'm going to, I'm just going to, uh, uh, fight the absurd and, uh, run that risk. You know, that that's kind of what they're doing to comics. They're going back 20 years and going, you just said this once when it was acceptable. Now it's not acceptable. Now we're going to, you know, crucify you for it. Just get over it. If you're offended by anything I've said, like I speak for all the Laotians, get over it. <laughs> yeah. And it also seems like that comedy played this really important role of critiquing 
things that were hard to talk about culturally yeah. and, and offering some in, interesting, insightful, and kind of jarring at times critique of cultural concepts and, and constructs. And that, that, that ability to critique is, is being diminished in yeah. this kind of cancel culture way that if you say something like you just said, and I, I'm guessing you mean outer space aliens, that if you say something about outer space aliens and 20 years from now, we discover outer space yep. aliens. Right. And, alien and they're, they're really PC and they're really easily offended and they're going to come back and I'm going to be in the height of my career and I'm going to have to, I'm not going to get the Oscar show because I, right. I insulted aliens and how green they are. They're all green and slimy and their tentacles are gross. So I'm going to take a chance 25 years from now. I'm not going to get the Oscars because I've offended aliens in the future. And so that's, what, that's it, how absurd this is. That's how absurd what's going on is. So, so if you're going back 20 years and finding something to, to, to criticize somebody about, you're wasting your life. Get a job, do something productive in society. That's my message an ENT. for today. Yes. <laughs> become an ENT Laotian comedian. Take away my title as the number one. Challenge me it, for my title. And, and, and it seems like in that way of, of having to worry about what, may be offensive 20 years from now that we're we're di diminishing the ability to critique current culture yeah the arts have always been uh, yeah. a, a way of of reflecting on society you know society is always imperfect there's always imperfections there's always things to laugh at there's always things to to change and the arts not just comedy but but novelists mm -hmm. would write satirical uh, uh, commentary about a society. Uh, we make jokes about what's funny and wrong about society. And it's just a way to, to expand the way that you reflect on culture, you know, and it's, it enriches us because if we can laugh at something that's silly, maybe at some point that stops being silly. Like that, that stupid alien joke, that's a joke for the future. So that if someone discovers this in posterity and, and realizes that it's stupid to criticize me for this, maybe that person won't do that. But when we shut everyone's voice, like the humorist voice, the novelist voice, the, the filmer, filmmaker's voice, all you're doing is, is making everyone's thoughts homogeneous. Okay. Like we're going to make our culture bland and, and almost statist, you know, like the, the, the totalitarians that don't allow you to have church and, and television. What are they doing that's different from what cancel culture is doing? You're just doing it from your bedroom. You know, as a society, we're imposing our own restrictions on people's voice. You should be able to tell a joke and not pay the price of, of, of your career for it. You know, it's just. Now you said earlier. You, you said earlier about making jokes from like uh, uh, the coming from the right place, especially yeah. the the more edgy jokes. How do you differentiate? Yeah. Like, do you ever watch a comedian? You're like, ooh yeah, he ooh he crossed the line. Like, he... I can tell. I have a sense of when someone means it with love or with hate. Okay, you can tell a joke on the edge, and it's hateful. There was a comedian who talked. I, I won't say his name, but he made a joke immediately after another celebrity's death and it was tasteless and stupid and he paid the price with his career because it was a hateful and heinous thing it wasn't funny like you can tell a joke about a a, a harmful hateful thing and it's 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 reparative it's healing but you need time 
like the people that need to mourn what they need to mourn can mourn about it. Like there's Hitler jokes now and they're, they're okay now because nobody's directly affected by Hitler today. Okay. But if you told Hitler jokes to a Jewish community in 1950, how well would that go over? You know, that the, what's lost, there's a, there's a, there's a handbook for how to do comedy. Like things can be funny with time, you know, but, but, but if you're going to make fun of a wound, that wound has to be healed. And uh, a lot of times people are, are more into being edgy than being funny. And that, that's where the problem is. And they know it and they know it. They know it, that they just haven't reflected on it before they let fire. It's ready, fire, aim. That's what's happening with those, those sorts of, of jokes. You know, it's got me reflecting on times that I've offended someone by trying to make a joke and how that can be repaired. If, if I have a relationship with that person and I'm coming from a place of, you know, I, we like each other. I love them. You know, they love me. I was teaching a class uh, a few months ago, I guess it was a summer class and uh, it was by zoom. And so there's like 20 faces on the screen. And when I look up and one of the faces is wearing a mask. And so I say, <laughs> Hey man, you know, you know, you can't get coronavirus by Zoom. And, <laughs> and most of the class laughs. And then he says, I know, but I tested positive and I'm trying to keep my family safe. And we're like, ooh, too soon. <laughs> but as a group, we knew that we cared for him and his family. He knew that my joke was not intended to offend you know, or make fun of his positive condition. And so we were able to repair that. They didn't cancel me as a professor. They didn't turn me into whatever group you turn people into. Um, there wasn't Twitter feeds about that joke. So I, I think what you're saying there about um, comedy can still be really edgy in some ways. Not that my joke was edgy, it was silly, but comedy can be edgy if it's coming from Either, you know, if self-deprecating seems safer, uh, local or familiar or from the inside of the culture seems safer rather than sort of attacking from the outside. Let me just make fun of you. Yeah. Well, it, it, there's so much to look at and, and reflect on in the world. Like the world yeah. is so complex. Society is so complex. Like there's there's plenty of space to run free and not hurt anybody. You know, yeah. like like it, it's it's kind of like if you have a wide open plane and then a cliff and, uh, you know, obviously you want to see what's over the cliff. But why do I have to stand on the, the edge of the rock and, and look over, you know, like why not run free in, in the plane that where it's safe? And, and like one of the, the most brilliant pieces I saw recently, one of my one of comedy idols is John Mulaney. He did this opening monologue on Saturday Night Live, and he's completely clean. And he talks about how silly the founding fathers were, like talking about the Bill of Rights. Like there's a number and the numbers are weird. Like there's, there's a weird order to, to what's important. And I was like, who writes that material? Like who sits down and goes this, you know what? This is weird. The numbers, it's like the, the third amendment is the army can't live in your house. <laughs> Which it's is like, funny anyway. Which is hilarious. Why is that in there? When did that ever happen? Yeah. And like the number two is like that, you know, number two, someone's in the back going, guns, you can have all the guns you want. And it's like, you know what? No one's ever bothered to think about how silly 
these amendments are and the, the order of them. Like, like guns are fine, but not like 17, 18. You want it yeah. number two? Yeah. Number two. Number Write it down. That's that's really to me, that's edgy because it's it's unique and it's creative and no one's ever thought like we hold the founding fathers in this this almost biblical light where they're like untouchable and infallible. It's like they wrote this thing that we've had forever and no one's ever reflected on how weird the order is. Like, do you have the army showing up at your house every day trying to live there? Like, that's hilarious. And I can watch it over and over again. And it's so but like. That's the kind of brilliance that's untouched because we're all making jokes about people dying, you know, like like people's lives were ruined. Jokes about who had an affair or who fell out of the church or whatever. They they're trying to laugh at people's pain like almost immediately, and it's so visceral that it's that that it, it, it's it's low lying fruit rather than putting in the creative effort to make a joke out of something, you know, uh, that requires contemplation and, and, and intellect. So I really, I really appreciate comedy that, that points a light on some type of like cultural or societal, like ignorance, but does it in a funny way. So, so typically that has to do with, with cultural and racial jokes, which, which kind of can get very kind of, kind of cross that line. Like you and I were talking offline about Asian jokes and um, to white people, all Asians look alike. And you're like, no, we, we can tell the difference. <laughs> That's true. So, yeah. so for you to tell that joke, there, you know, it's, it's a reality that a lot of people think and they say often, but to bring it to light as like, it's really, really silly and ignorant, but let's laugh <laughs> about it. Let's laugh about our ignorance if people would take it that way, but sometimes it eggs them on and gives them license to be more ignorant sometimes. Like, oh, the Laotian guy said all Asians look the same, so I can say that and get away with it. Well, maybe not. Maybe you need to rethink your position on that. But like to me, that's funny. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think it's funny that Asians have been in this country for like 100 years. But if I walk down the street, like there's a 50-50 chance that someone will assume that I don't speak English. Oh. Yeah. Like people will come up and be like, you know, talk really loud, <laughs> like just yeah. in case, like just in case I'm like, deaf, hi, deaf. sir, <laughs> I have, do you speak English? I was at the mall and this lady just goes, do you know where the Apple store is? And she immediately caught herself like, I just asked an Asian person where the Apple store is. And <laughs> I decided, I decided I was like, why do I know where the Apple store is? And I, I wasn't really offended. I just thought I'd, I'd enjoy her squirm for a little while. She's like, I, I don't know why I assumed that you would know. I'm sorry. And she like walked. She, it was like a one-sided conversation where she asked a question and then felt bad and then apologized and then ran away. Like she had abhorred herself. It's really funny. Dude, I'm curious. Do um, Is this your experience like growing up Asian with, with Laotian parents? Are y'all ever like, hey, you see that Asian person over there? I think they're from South Korea. No, no, they're Japanese. No, they're probably Vietnamese. Like, do y'all try to like guess other people's? We can tell. Like, it's it's actually not even that complicated. Like, we can visually tell. or yeah, you can tell. Like, yeah. there's a there's a visual difference. There's a sound difference, voice difference. Like, there's mannerism differences. There's there's you know there's cues and signs. You know, I have a, a memory as a kid, and this still this actually still happens, not as often. All right, let me to... wait, let me turn this around. All right, if oh, you see oh, a dude. Oh. Right. Uh -huh. He's wearing a, a he's wearing skinny jeans. He's got like brown hair, but the top of his hair is frosted and bleached. Right. And he's just saying bro and dude and bro and dude all the time. Where's uh -huh. that guy from? 
South Korea. No, no, I don't, I don't know. Wrong. <laughs> California, man. Yeah. Some co- coastal, coastal area. All right. It's like a dude's walking down the street. He's got a baseball cap with a, a calligraphy A on it. And he just gets out of a big truck with like a lift kit. Right. Yeah. Where's that dude from? Hey, man. I'm from Alabama. <laughs> right. You yeah. can tell these things. You know, to, to, to your point, I had a, a, a good friend in graduate school um, from South Korea. And he would, he could point out people like, you know, I couldn't verify this, but he could point out people from across the way that he could just see and he could say, oh, no, 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 they're not Chinese, they're Japanese. He, he, he said the mannerisms, the way people moved often yeah. gave him evidence of where they were from. Yeah. Yeah, you can spot a Japanese person. They always look like they're like shop at the vintage American store. They're, they, They'll be wearing like a skinny Van Halen shirt and and like old Levi's jeans. Those are the Japanese. Yeah, with good haircuts. I mean, really nice haircuts. Yeah, I'm gonna offend every single Korean, but the the Koreans have that round face. Oh, you might want to edit that part out. <laughs> I know. What I was gonna say was, I remember as a kid going to, to going to restaurants, and the waiter or waitress would obviously be hispanic maybe the look or their accent and my dad would would start talking to them in spanish and then they would walk away with our order and he would kind of lean in he goes they're from argentina like how do you know dad he's like i can tell well how do you know it's the way they said this word he'll say and they'll walk back and we're like hey are you from argentina they're like yeah how'd you know it's like that became a thing like hey that person they're from el salvador really (laughs) how do you know well it's the way they say this and um so it's accents. I like to, I was just curious if that's like, do Asian people walk around? Like, oh, we can know. totally tell. We totally, totally narc on each other. The other day I was at a Vietnamese restaurant and there's like a friend of mine came in with another Asian person. And like the guy was like, he didn't know that I was Laotian, my friend. He's like, are you Laotian? I'm like, yes. He goes, my friend said that he thought you were. And I was like, well, it's, we know these things. It was, it was confounding him the way it's confounding you. Yeah. Can y'all tell anything about me? I, I'm, I don't know where I fit in this conversation. I've, you, I've, you, you have exquisite taste in glasses, is what I know. You're the minority. <laughs> I have been. I've been lots of places in the world, and um, I'm always struck by what language people speak to me initially as the initial. You know, so I, I've definitely been in Europe, where people will start with German. I've been in. Um, Maybe that's the only language they know, and they're just trying to communicate. Certainly, but most people will go hi if they're not sure or hello. <laughs> hello is kind of universal these days. Um, I've been in Central America. Do all white, do all white people speak English? Is that the uh, is that the stereotype? <laughs> it, I think there is like uh, I just kind of what y'all were saying about mannerisms. I think I give off an air of Americanism at times, and so if I'm traveling internationally and I'm giving off the air of Americanism, meaning. My jeans are a little more relaxed. My tennis shoes look a certain way. You know, I'm wearing a uh, college b- baseball hat. Then I'll get a more hello. But if I'm looking a little bit more, you know, if my clothes are a little slimmer. I'm looking a little bit more European. I get all kinds of different languages. And, and certainly in Central America, I've gotten uh, Spanish. Um, South America, I've gotten Spanish. And so I think that that um, is interesting about how, Sometimes I can look very, uh, uh, very cultural, and then other times a little bit more confusing. 
I, I, there's an American flavor to everybody. Like even if you're Latin and you go back to a Latin American country, like if you're American, you're, they know that you're American. We have a certain thing, yeah. like an odor or something that they can yeah. smell. Yeah. Like, cause other Asian people know that I'm very American. Like, did I you, did you say odor because you're an ENT? <laughs> I did. I did. I was trying <laughs> yeah, to slide I, that in there. I think it's the small things. I think it's like the, the style of glasses that you wear, your, the look of your, tennis shoe or the, you know, your footwear, stuff like that, your watch that you might be wearing that it's small things. Yeah. Yeah. People pick up on the little things. Huh. Unless they don't. (laughs) Unless they don't. And then we don't know what to make of that. Make of, make of, has anyone ever mistaken you Vian for a European? No, no. What I get most is people think I'm Filipino. Uh, you know, I, I actually don't look super Laotian. Uh, I look Asian, but I don't look Laotian. People think I'm Filipino a lot, um, which is okay. Like, it's not offensive to me or to to them. It's just how I happen to look. Um, but it's funny yeah. when they, they'll come, you know, you get people that will want to talk to you about your shared culture that you don't share with them. And then, and then it's awkward. You look Laotian to me. <laughs> Judge, judging by your experience of one Laotian, <laughs> one Laotian, you, you, are, you, I mean, you, you carry the, uh, the, I mean, you carry that burden of, of representing Laos. Yeah, I, I am the president now. I've declared, I've decided, and I speak for all the people. If you, if you're listening in the future and you want to cancel me in the future, I've spoken for Laos and I hate aliens. <laughs> so, Matt, I think you were going to ask a question that I wanted to ask one, and then we'll kind of start the interplanetary aliens, not like, you know, foreigners in your land. Do people laugh at alien jokes. I haven't done a lot of alien material. I, I, I find it's not very relatable out of, yeah, out, out of this world. Alien Dude, material. if our, if our podcast download numbers drop because you made fun of aliens, I'm coming back on you. <laughs> you're, you're getting canceled. I'm, I'm pretty sure. You your podcast numbers are going to drop for me not being very funny and being a comedian on your show. You know, this has been good for me today and that I was in a good mood and I was looking forward to, to our conversation. Um, but I, I, I have enjoyed it. And in that way, I already feel better. You know, it's, it's a good day. I feel better. Um, I, you're, I feel, you're a very good therapist. You're very consoling, you know, and I, I'm, I'm driving to a point here and I, feel, <laughs> I already feel closer to you all. And so I, I feel like I'm making my point that I started with is that laughter is connective, particularly if it's laughter between people. And so, you know, I imagine people going to your show or going to a comedy uh, show or even just watching something funny on TV, like Nacho Libre or f- a funny movie that if they have that shared experience of laughter that they feel closer to one another. Eric, you were talking about that, you know, feeling more connected. We, we really associate that with oxytocin, this, this hormone that is related to connectedness and bonding and that sense of feeling close to one another. And so I, I do really want to um, return this to families and thinking about that um, laughter in the home is a good vital sign and that, um, that even being laughed at in the home has its place. That, that in some way, everybody in the home should get to be the stand-up comedian at different times. 
and that everybody in the home should learn to take a little ribbing and everybody in the home should get to be the butt of the joke at times. Even the, you know, we're all men, even the men, even the fathers, the dads, whatever, the sons, uh, take, learn to laugh at yourself, learn to, um, learn to be a comic, um, find something that's funny, observe something that's funny and, and share it with your family. And I think that, um, those are good signs that if families can play together and laugh together and build those memories together, that that that's generally a sign of family health. I think that's why the dad joke is so fundamental to the existence of, of, of fatherhood. Uh, I think that's why something happens to us chemically where we have to tell bad jokes. Like there's a stage. Don't, don't, don't judge. You're right. They're, they're they're only bad to non-dads. They're brilliant to us. But like (laughs) there's a phase that your kids go through where they're just too serious. You know, that teenager phase where like everything's like they have that snarl all the time. I think it's our job as fathers. I think it's a, it's, it's an immortal role that we play that we have to just torture them with, with jokes that make them groan and, and disarm that, 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 that facade, just destroy that little fortress of anger that they're building. You know, uh, I, I, the other day this week, I've been singing, uh, nothing compares to you by Sinead O'Connor really loud when my kids are on the phone with other people, because I think it's important (laughs) that they know what a great song, by the way. Yeah. Uh, before that, I think I was doing some Rick Astley, you know, never going to give you up. I think it's important that you embarrass your children. I think if you don't do that, they will be sociopaths. That's my two cent psychology degree. I'll add to that. I think that's fine. As long as you're willing as the parent to be embarrassed a couple of times by your kids and laugh at that too. So that none of us as a family turn into, so, uh, you know, we don't turn into this kind of sociopathic family where we're, on edge about everything. Agreed. Agreed. So Matt. Yeah. Let's 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 back up. Let's kind of go full circle. So laughter is the closest distance between two people. Okay. What does that mean? The way I understand that, the way I understand that I didn't say it. It was a quote that I found. All right. The way I understand that is let me let me let me restate it. Okay. People are no closer than no there is no time when people are closer than when they're laughing together. Is that better? I, what about if they're having sex? I think I think well, sex beats that. I I feel like I'm closer to my wife um, when we're not laughing. I bet you and, there's a study that says the more that you laugh with your spouse, the more sex you have. What about like blood yeah, transfusion or something? Just, there's got to be closer. What, I, gosh, what if the, like can you laugh during sex? Is that healthy? I feel like that's not right either. <laughs> yeah. If yes, but don't laugh not. at each other. Yeah. Don't like in the middle like, go. What are, you, what are you laughing at? Like turn on a comedy while you're at it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like let's watch VN's video of Asians playing ping pong. What's it like to play against an Asian <laughs> in ping pong? Um, laughter does. Laughter generally enhances everything. So I think you should. I think everybody should try it. It's a, it's a new trend i'm gonna start laughter sex so wait Eric, well, your question what is your question i'll take it seriously ish no this, this is no, it's no joke seriously I, it was actually i was curious to know and this is probably like a, a topic it's a bigger topic but i'm just curious to know what is it like to you described yourself as a twinkie which is a technical word is that like a is that a derogatory term if someone calls you a twinkie is that derog- like i don't even know 
Or you said Matt. You just... Are you talking to me? No, I'm talking to you. The end. Okay. My name is not Matt. You called me Matt. I called you Matt? You did. You started the question with Matt. and then... <laughs> You look like a Matt. <laughs> and then Matt answered you that he would take your question seriously. You look like a Matt. And then you didn't change direction. You're like that guy. I, I'm looking at you now. I'm looking. I'm looking at you. I'm making eye contact with you. He's renamed the white part of you, Matt. You, you. I guess I'll be Matt for the rest Chad. of the show. Chad, I got a question for Chad. <laughs> no, it's so, I, so. What's it? What's it like? Here, here's the real question. You got a. You look very Asian. You yeah. have a very Asian name. Yeah. You grew up in America. What's it like to be so Asian, but yet yet not so Asian? Like, how did other people treat you? Like, were you upset that there were so many letters in your name, like in your full name, yeah. like where Matt's got like four and you have a lot I, more? I, I, in, in my stand-up, I t- tell a joke about this kid named Joe Smith that used to bully me. And I was actually really jealous because his name was so simple. Like I had this weird Laotian name, you know, and it was like a huge disadvantage on the SAT. Like you had to bubble your answers in and like Joe would be like halfway through the test. I was still bubbling in my name, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, growing up, I'm okay with it now because it gives me material. It's comedy material. It is annoying because I have to sign my name on like electronic charts and it takes me like 10 times longer than everybody else. But um, but yeah, it's 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 okay now. But growing up with a name like that, you know, you want to fit in as a kid. So so when you're the oddball, when you're the only one, you know, it, it it's it's not it's not ideal. You know, you're jealous of the Joe Smiths and the, the but now it's like I wouldn't want to be Joe Smith. That's so boring. You know, I can't go up there and be like Joe Smith and no one will remember my name if I'm ever famous. You know, you don't think of a lot of famous Joe Smiths, right? Except for the Mormon guy. Um Joe. And Joe he went by by Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he was Joe. Joe. Yeah. No one called him Joey, I don't think. At home. Joseph. At home, I'm sure he was Joe. Yeah. His at dad was like Joseph. Like when he was mad at him. Do you, does your mom call you by your full name? Like like in, in Laotian culture, like is it just you have just two names no. or do you have like a string of names? No, it's weird. Like nobody actually knows like your real name. Like Laotians have these long, complicated names, but if I walked up to someone I knew for like 30 years, I couldn't tell you what his real name is. They all have these, they all have nicknames and they're all like the same nicknames. There's like four nicknames for everybody. We have these 20 letter names, but we call each other four names, right? My nickname is CAC. And uh, what that means is that I have dark skin. Like I'm a dark skin Laotian. That's what that means. And then there's like, there's another name, Noi, that's very common. That means you're small. Like if you're small, that's your name. So it's like descriptive terms for what you look like. So it would be like if everyone in America was called like slappy, uh, chubby, chunky, and skinny. Like, so I'm like, the whole point of our name is completely lost in our culture. It's like, why, why did we bother? Like, why aren't we all just slappy, skinny, you know, smelly and, and chunky, you know? Like when you come out, when you're born, just hold you up, look at you. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna call you Mole Face. That's your name. You know that that's actually as you're saying that, like culturally, like in 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 the Cuban culture, even today, like people are described physically, like how they physically look, their physical yeah. color, their physical stature. Don't do that in the U.S. You <laughs> no, I know. It, it's it's funny because because you know we'll, we'll be around a bunch of Cubans and they'll 
they'll say something and then we'll explain it to one of the kids and, and like in transit like well you really can't say that right yeah like it, it, it's not pc it's you, you can't get away with that yeah like you know, like my grandma's name my grandma's name her nickname was good gorda gordita yeah. Gordi, yeah. which is overweight fat right and it was a term of endearment it was like it's it's perfectly acceptable didn't offend anybody and you know she's flaca and he's flaco and <laughs> she's you know yeah it's just how it works yeah like um, laotians are very observational like and and you can just kind of say whatever like my mom had seen one of her sisters for the first time in a long time and she's just like it's my sister she's doing okay she's gotten fat like first first sentence like no no filter just and it's perfectly it's, culturally acceptable it's just okay so, so we think it is yeah well i mean i can't say For that now. to any any of my american friends mm -mm. <laughs> that, will, that will get you in trouble i think yeah. there should be a day a year where we can do that well you know uh, I, I kind of speaking for white people here, but white people do this all the time. They <laughs> for go all, all of them for all of them. I just want to be clear. Every single most, one. <laughs> most of them. Yeah. There's some good ones out there, but for most of them, for the rest of us, you know, we do this all the time. We go, Oh, Hey, have you seen Cheryl? And they go, Cheryl, Cheryl, who, Oh, you know, she's got brown hair. She's about, she's kind of tall. She's a little overweight. We say that stuff all the time, but it's always kind of, under our breath as a way to not offend <laughs> somebody, but we're doing it. I mean, I, you know, it goes back to that whole idea that we notice each other all the time. We notice characteristics about each other all the time. We just don't know how to, how to use that appropriately. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just because maybe it's a, a, a cultural thing of sensitivity, right? Like different cultures are more sensitive, oversensitive. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if it's a bad thing. I think at times it's good, but I think at other times it could be, Probably not so good. I usually just go, you know, Cheryl. I go, which one, Cheryl? She she has hair. She has lips. <laughs> she she's dressed. She's not an alien. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's hard. Like it's in this culture. It's like, have you? Hey, where's has anyone seen Vienna? Like, who's Vienna again? Like, um, uh, you know, Vienna. He's the Laotian guy. You, you, oh, you can't, okay. You can't use my race. Yeah. No. <laughs> the Laotian. Yes. 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 And he's got, got he's got darker skin like it, it's it's interesting this, this kind of goes back to the culture we live in but but i think that the lesson here is i think we all need to 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 loosen up and i think i think a big part of it is being able to laugh at ourselves uh, and i think that's kind of where it starts is i think if we can laugh at ourselves we won't get so offended and and something and, and that laughter that could draw us near together we, we find that we're probably more we're more alike than we're different culturally vn me and you are probably more alike than me and Matt in terms of our ethnic backgrounds. Um, even though we look dramatically different, um, but laughter is, is fun. This was fun, man. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time. I know there's a lot of um, sinuses out there that need to be checked. Um, so by you doing this is, is, is a, a sacrifice. There's many of your patients that are, are sacrificing swollen sinuses right now. Yeah. So thank you. Adenoids. Yeah. The, the, the raging infections happening right now because of my absence. I, it was fun being here. I hope I've contributed to, to what you're trying to do. Uh, I'm I hope no one stops listening. Uh, I apologize. Should I apologize? Is that no. what you want now? <laughs> yeah. Make it all right. <laughs> I'm apologizing to aliens in advance. Uh, I'm sorry for what I said. The green one uh, from outer space. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. 
And, you know, I just like to end with this whole idea of building us is about building relationships. And I, I, I think humor cannot be underestimated and understated for its ability to bring us together, uh, to build, to build relationships, to build us. Uh, so go out, invest in your relationships, laugh at each other. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated.